This may not make much sense to you now, a young man at the beginning of his career. But one of the things you learn as you move up the ranks and get a little older is that you wish you had more time in your youth to really absorb all the things that happened to you. Welcome back to Delta Flyer. I'm Thad Haight. I'm Stuart Hollis. And this week, we are going to be talking about emanations. Yes, indeed. Season 1, Episode 9. Our synopsis from TV Guide. While investigating an alien graveyard, Kim is transported to the alien's homeworld, appearing to them to be someone who has risen from the dead, causing them great philosophical consternation. Okay, in this case, the TV Guide one is much better than the Memory Alpha one. If for no other reason that they threw in the word consternation, how often are you going to see that, you know? Uh, I give them extra points for that, yeah. That's what I'm saying. So Memory Alpha is just awful. Okay. Investing mineral... Bleh, investing. Investigating mineral deposits on an asteroid. Harry Kim is trapped on an alien planet. Uh, like, there's nothing wrong? Yeah, there is. Actually. You're right, they, they don't talk about mineral deposits. It's an element. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it, it is even technically wrong. As well as just... Bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he does get trapped on the alien planet. Yeah, but... <sighs> yeah. Which is just weird, because up until this point, the Memory Alpha synopsis has been on par or better than the TV Guide one. Yes, and well, certainly, you know, not just in terms of the information that it's providing, but word length. <laughs> yes! <laughs> TV Guide went high, Memory Alpha went low. Apparently, apparently. Speaking of going high, 246 elements known to Federation scientists? Yeah. Well, you know, they have 400 years to find them. That's more than double what we have now, and it took us a while to get that get as many as we have. Sure. Well, it's... at Okay, for comparison, how many are there now? Is it what? 118. Like, yeah, I thought it was 118. There were 111 at the time that this episode was filmed. Which was... And, well, when it was... It aired March 13th, 1995. I don't know when it was filmed. Yeah, aired is when I'm talking. But, well, actually, I don't know now. But yes, in in 1995, there were 111. So we put so we gained seven in 20 years. Yeah, at that rate, we're not gonna we're not gonna make it. But no, no, we will. No, no. If it's if it's seven every 20 years and they're 400 years ahead, we'll we'll make it. Yeah, and can you apply Moore's law to elements? No. Okay. You can't even apply Moore's Law to Moore's Law anymore. I suppose that's true. Yeah, they've hit they've hit quantum limits, man. Well, you know, we'll just have to do quantum stuff now. Yeah, they're working on it. And not. But yeah, that's a lot of elements. Yes, indeed. And what exactly does transuranic even mean? That is... I want to say actually like a term from our own that it it didn't like jump out and poke me in the eye or anything uh when they said it 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 sounded vaguely familiar. There's a Wikipedia article. Yeah, like I said. A transuranium element also known as a transuranic element is literally any element with an atomic number higher than 92, which is uraniums. That's super boring. Also, I feel like when your periodic table has 246 in it, you might be want to use a word for a for elements that are higher that doesn't start like 
a third of the way through the list. Slightly more than a third, but I understand your point. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that that was much more boring than I thought it would be. <laughs> kind of like this episode. It was fine. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate the the high concept stuff they were trying to go with on this one and like the yeah. The yeah, how they're in working with how people view the afterlife. Uh mm-hmm. Brandon Braga who wrote the episode uh had been wanting to do this since he first started working on TNG. I could see t- I I could see the next generation crew uh doing this episode. Mm-hmm. But for those of us keeping track at home, this is absolutely a Harry Kim death episode. Yes. I mean, there's you're not you're, you can't wiggle out of this one, you know, like you do with uh you know with our death count on Stargate Weekly, man. <laughs> no, he 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 actually dies. The doctor brings him back to life. But getting back to the beginning of the episode, yeah, before Harry Kim dies. Sorry if you're watching it while you're listening to us but that would be yeah, weird be like and you a weird feel way, wrong about right that. you should feel bad yeah. for doing it that way uh i just can't even imagine someone listening to a podcast like this that dissects an episode after the fact where it's like you know like oh they're talking about this now better pause watch this bit let's go back to the episode see what they're talking about next. oh god i gotta fast forward 17 minutes like if we were like <laughs> mst3king it or something that would be one thing uh, Yes, but as I recall, you firmly put your foot down on that. I don't think that's going to work. I don't necessarily disagree, because... Word. Also, I don't enjoy MST3K, and feel free to send me hate mail for that. Uh, I enjoy riffing on stuff with friends while I'm watching it. I don't typically enjoy just listening to people riff on stuff, though. Do you enjoy watching Let's Plays? No. Yeah, me neither. I would rather just play the game. Yeah, but I also don't listen. I also don't enjoy most audiobooks um, because of the people talking. Now, in that case, I do usually enjoy an audiobook. I don't care for, too much for audiobooks when they are acted out too much and are they turn them sort of into radio dramas. I would much rather it just be a person reading. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. I mean, you can put a little inflection on it, but don't, like, you know, use a different voice for every character and, you know, all that stuff. Twas Brillig in the Slithy Tove. I beg your pardon? It's the opening of Jabberwock, which is actually a poem, uh, but whatever. Um, like, I'm familiar with Jabberwock, but I, like, I'm familiar with what it is, but that's about it. It's a, it's a special project from Viridian Dynamics. Yes, it is. Isn't it Jabberwocky? Jabberwocky is the poem. I think Project Jabberwock was in Viridian Dynamics. So what is it? What is it exactly that's going to revolutionize the way we do business? Simple. It's Jabberwocky. Hmm. Diversity. Just thinking about it makes these white people (laughs) smile. (laughs) Asteroids in the ring have an atmosphere? They must be Class M atmosphere. They must be Class M asteroids. It looks like most of these asteroids support Class M atmospheres. We've already... This is not the first Class M asteroid we've encountered this season. A Class D planet with a Class M atmosphere on the asteroids that have Class 5 humanoids in 
class Q cob Okay, yeah, I, w- I, I marked down class 5 humanoid, because I was wondering what you think about that. <laughs> it's just technobabble all the way down, man. Okay, so... The only thing that made any sense was transuranic. Yeah, uh, the... I don't ha- so much have an issue with the class M asteroid around the class D planet. Because, think about the planets and orbital things... That we know of, like for instance, Europa. Yes, is not is a moon, not part of the rings. Right, but how much of a? What I'm saying is, it's not like a ridiculous extrapolation that you could have something orbiting something else that has a completely different structure. That's that's not my dispute. It's the idea that it's a part of the ring structure. The size of objects that would make up a planetary ring system and being able to support an atmosphere on that. I, I, I don't care that it's a class D planet with class M moons. Like if they said it was a moon near the rings or something, if the moon had the element 247 fancy pantsness, that's cool. I'm on board. But like part of the ring, we see in the opening theme. Yeah. That there's itty-bitty little bits that make up rings. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean there aren't larger bits that make up rings. Do you ever see the video that tries to scale Voyager against the planet's rings? No. <laughs> In the opening theme, since we know the size of Voyager, uh, they scaled the planet against it based on the reflection that Voyager projects um, onto the, the ring itself. Isn't that such a cool effect? It's such a cool effect, but the planet is something like, I don't know, like 150 kilometers wide or something. <laughs> <laughs> in order for that... Like, like in Aww, order for that to work. So cute right. They're like, okay, so if Voyager's reflecting in this way, give it its size and angle and the width of the ring, etc., etc. Okay, yeah, so the planet is like 12 and a half feet across. <laughs> this is the only time in all of Star Trek that we have humanoid classification numbers really yep okay so first it was the polaric radiation Mm -hmm. now it's humanoid classification so that's two things now in voyager where they're like we're gonna do this thing we're gonna do it once never again yeah pretty much we should keep track of this as well see at the end of the show (laughs) what has happened more often voyager has invented and then immediately thrown away some sort of techno babble or harry kim has died yes no, it can't be yes. It could be both. There could be a tie. You don't know. I will track down Garrett Wong and ask him to film one last death scene. He'd probably be down for it. Right? So speaking of death, mm-hmm. the Klingons have no barrier ritual. Discovery would like to uh, There was actual. Uh, there were quite a few people who were complaining about the burial ritual in Discovery because of this episode. See, this is what I don't understand about Star Trek fans. They nitpick? No, that that bothers me not at all. I, I'm on board for that. Right. It's like they nitpick, but like forget the key element of Star Trek, which is that Star Trek will happily abandon its own canon at any given time for story purposes. Word. Like they seem, it, it, the canon seems to be mostly intact within an individual series. I mean, I'm saying mostly. Not always. Mostly. 
work with me on this. But once you get outside of any given series, if they did something, it doesn't necessarily mean that any other series is going to respect what they did. And on the one hand, that allows them a flexibility because it is, I mean, you know, the show's been going on since the 60s and it has all these movies and the different series. And so it, all, it affords them flexibility if they do have sort of like a central tenet, like one of their Ten Commandments is number seven, thou shalt not care about the canon. But on the other hand, for someone like me who respects a franchise that tries to stay internally consistent, it becomes irritating. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about this briefly, but we're not a Star Trek Discovery podcast, so I don't want to... No, no, we are not. Get, ...get deep into the weeds on that. But there definitely seems to be a certain element of the Star Trek fandom that Discovery can do no right whatsoever. And if there is anything that they can find to point out that Discovery has no respect for existing Star Trek, their words, not mine, I actually think that Discovery very much lives up to the ideals of Star Trek. I enjoyed I enjoy Discovery a ton. But there are, plen- there are some that have a completely different view, and they will gladly point out every tiny bit of minutia that supposedly backs up their claim that Discovery isn't really Star Trek. And that's where that the people with the death rituals were talking about. Alright, so the last thing that we're going to say about Discovery. Mm-hmm. I have never seen a group so stinking jazzed about their iconography as Starfleet in discovery is there's just deltas everywhere everywhere like on all their phasers on their belt buckles on their boots like a thousand of them on that pisses off the canon purists as well by the way they're just man they they love their little thing they're just man this is the best i'm like half surprised that the deck plating like instead is is actually like composed of tiny little like 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 delta scales you know how they get the little deltas into those uniform jackets carefully they 3d print it and then put a layer of uh layer of fabric then print layer of fab there's multiple layers of fabric and it, it there's like those deltas are actually pr- 3d printed on the fabric i'm looking forward to when 3d printing and and this is what we're going to have instead of replicators oh yeah uh, i'm looking forward to when 3d printing resolution is high enough that you can literally print yourself a shirt made out of like that's completely like 100 seamless because it'd be effectively just really 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 tiny chain mail that would be pretty sweet right uh, you know like no seams no nothing but the print resolution is high enough that it can like essentially like knit the shirt out of whatever material you're printing out of hmm Right? That would be pretty sweet. Pants as well. It could also do pants. 3D printers are awesome. I am definitely interested to see where the technology goes as it matures, because there's... The applications are limitless. I... Mm... You believe that there is a limit? Yes. Okay. I don't know what that limit is, (laughs) but... (laughs) Limitless is a strong term. Okay, the applications are virtually limitless? Can you make a 3D printer that is, like, you know, that could, like, print itself? And I, I, no, I, I, I don't mean a copy of itself. I mean literally itself. 
could you 3D print a, a rock so big that even the 3D printer couldn't print it? <laughs> it could not print it, right, yeah. <laughs> so long as we're on philosophical questions, such as... Philosophical questions are appropriate for this episode. That's what I'm saying. This this uh, this episode's rife with them. We have um, this alien species, the Venarian. Is that who it was? Venori. Venori. Okay. Who don't have a vowel in the first syllable of their name because we've got to be alien, right? They don't know that it's alien to do that. The writers of Star Trek did. Hmm. And then promptly ignored it. <laughs> This this is a culture that is advanced enough to be able to build a machine to harness these subspace vacuoles, but doesn't have the technology to cure cancer. They also don't seem particularly... They were... I mean, they're definitely shaken to the core about the possibility of their afterlife not being real, but they don't seem to be concerned about the fact that Harry Kim is not is of a different species. That doesn't bother them at all, it seems. Well, because they think they ascend to a higher uh, plane of existence. So Harry Kim coming back and not being of their species, I mean, okay, maybe that's what the next plane of existence looks like, because all they know is they put someone into the cephalopod. I know that's not called that. and <laughs> That's what I'm going to call it now. <laughs> right. They disappeared, and... Harry Kim came back. They know that this pod sends people... Well, they know that this pod sends people to the afterlife, and all of a sudden, this other person is inside of it. So clearly, this person has come back from the next emanation. Hmm. So, I want to talk about the pathology of these people for a moment. So they secrete this biopolymer when they die, and it apparently wraps itself around them? Yeah, that's a little odd. Also, how fast do they secrete this? Because if the Cenotaph kills the person, and then Im they immediately go into the subspace vacuole, mm -hmm. all, the one all the bodies that materialize are just completely obscured with this biopolymer. Right, and when Patera is being, they're, when they're trying to use the transporter to get Patera into a vacuole to get her back home, uh, you know, when the transporter process fails and she's back there on the tra on the, on the pad, she's already starting to be covered in the yeah. webbing. But she's not completely covered in it, which is why I'm just like. This seems strange. Perhaps the subspace vacuole in some way interacts with their body to speed up this process or even activate it. And it's possible the subspace vacuole takes time? Yeah, we don't know. It's true. I mean, for all we know, Harry Kim was effectively living 50 years apart from Voyager. I mean, no one ever consulted a calendar, and if they had, what the heck difference would that make? So I actually have a hypothesis about the brain tumor thing. Go on. So I posit that this society doesn't put a lot of emphasis on medical science because they're certain that when they die and they go through that vacuole, they become they ascend to a higher existence. So So why bother? Yeah. Yeah. They don't see the need to treat the 
the tumor because why not just let them move on? So here's a comparison that just occurred to me. Mm-hmm. Our dude who with the brain tumor. No, Patera had the brain tumor. Our dude had some other problem. Our dude was just uh just falling. He's he was uh, a cripple or yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. Anyway, so Patera with the brain tumor is Joe and the cephalopod <laughs> is the big volcano. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, I see that. Yeah. But then who's Meg Ryan? Harry Kim is Meg Ryan, oh, obviously. Okay. Duh. You have to ask? I could see Harry Kim as Meg Ryan. Yeah. Okay. But which Meg Ryan? Oh. Uh, the crazy one. The one from the beginning? The. No, no, not the secretary. Uh, the the sister who takes him to the restaurant and she's saying they look yeah, like no, a monster. Oh, sorry. Not the. Yeah, I, I didn't mean beginning. Meg Ryan plays three different characters in that movie. Yeah, I meant the... Uh, yeah, the, yeah the, the crazy sister. Yeah, 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 yeah. The landlocked sister, who's like, they look like little monsters, but they're tasty little monsters. Yeah, no, that's definitely Harry Kim. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Robert Picardo, you know, the doctor, he is the latter Meg Ryan. I think you would say last Meg Ryan. Latter would be one of two. Would be the, the second of two. Hmm. Well, yeah, okay, you're right. Then yes, the Doctor is the last Meg Ryan. Okay. Is Janeway the first Meg Ryan? No, of course not. Janeway's... What? (laughs) I don't know. Speaking of characters, this episode is 100% Neelix free. Neelix is the first Meg Ryan. (laughs) But he's not even in the episode. So, future knowledge, this may be one one of the last episodes where Sesco plays a normal Starfleet role. But now that I'm saying that, there may be one or two more. But I know it's like, it can't be much longer. We only have seven episodes left in the season. Uh, yeah, no, we are over halfway done with the first season. I always, I'm like always surprised when, when I go back into Netflix to, to, to watch the next episode. Cause I, and I have to like scroll around because Netflix thinks that I'm at the end of the season, etc. <laughs> uh, I'm always like, episode 16? What? What? <laughs> Yeah, it's because it was a mid-season launch. Yeah. Interestingly enough, there are actually several episodes from the beginning of season two that were originally planned for the first season. Neat. But we'll discuss that more when we get to the second season. So here's what I want to discuss. Okay. The ship has a morgue? Yeah, I was wondering about that, too. Like, I would have assumed they would just, like, in the unlikely event that someone dies, or in Voyager's case, probably somewhat likely event that someone dies, they would, I would assume that there would just be, like, they would just put them in stasis in sick bay or something, or yeah, or cargo hold. <laughs> cargo hold seems, but yes, an entire morgue on this little ship that does seem. Yeah, that's my point. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I did like the bit when Patil. Yeah, we well, may be pronouncing that wrong though, but that's how it's spelled. Patil's wife is, is meeting with him, and he's expressing his concerns about the next emanation. And, of course, obviously the wife knows this is all Harry Kim's fault. Yep. So when she leaves the room, she says, stay away from my husband. And I have jotted down Harry Kim, homewrecker. <laughs> so, like, I get that in the society where they think that they're all going to go to, you know, the... The next emanation. Yeah, that it's not really an issue if someone commits ritual suicide. Or, yeah, elective suicide, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. But 
Dang, his family had a meeting and decided he should off himself? Yeah, that's... yeah. That one's just... yeah. I, I mean, I suppose that, especially because they are a society where they think there is this next emanation, it's certainly better than something like putting them out, him out on an ice flow. Sure. I have to wonder if that's apocryphal or not. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of those sort of look at what these savages do to their elders. We treat them so much better by putting them in nursing homes. Yeah, by locking them up in a nursing home and forgetting all about them. Right. Um... Yeah, I have mixed feelings about nursing homes. I think most people do. But I mean, you know, if they if they think that they're going on to the next emanation to a higher plane of existence, then I mean, it it, it makes a certain degree of sense. Then that it's like, hey, you know, you're not doing so hot this go round. Let's just go ahead and kick you down the road to the next go round. How about that? Yeah, well, that's basically what they do, and and I realize this is somewhat social commentary. That, that that that's it. Like that that was your whole statement right there. Was that you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because uh, I'm just wondering. Like, did we at some point say that we weren't going to have any social commentary on this podcast? Because I need to go back and edit some of our published work. Good lord, I we you cannot do a podcast <laughs> on Star Trek and not talk about social commentary. I mean, you can, but you'd be missing a lot of the point. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost like. If you immediately knew that the candlelight was fire. <laughs> Crossing the streams. That's the very first thing that popped in my head when they first talked about the the next emanation being a higher plane of existence. Sure. Yeah, no, I was thinking about that. And it is, you know, appropriate that our that we have our Voyager character who dies all the time having this conversation since on Star Trek yeah. or on Stargate it was our Stargate character who dies all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, how else was he going to get to Ascend if he didn't have all that practice? That's true. The Ascended beings, they're all just people who went to Carnegie Hall in, in Stargate. <laughs> nice. So, is neural energy a thing? You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> it's not a hyperlink on Memory Alpha, so I guess we'll never know. Invented and immediately discarded. <laughs> so, the only thing from this episode... Did you have more you want to say about neural energy before I do my thing? Not really. It just it was just a plot device to make it so that their uh, their belief in the afterlife may not be wrong after all. Mm-hmm. Um, when Patil is getting ready to hop into the cephalopod, mm-hmm. and he's wrapping himself in his burial shroud, and Harry Kim is like, they make you put on your own burial shroud. So they make you wrap yourself in your own death shroud. Something we look forward to, actually. Judgy punk. Yes, seriously. He, uh, that moment right there, where Patil is sitting on the bed or whatever and wrapping himself, is the only thing that, like, as soon as I saw him, I'm like, I remember this episode now. That is... Like, up until that point, nothing else had really jumped out at me. I didn't remember that scene. <laughs> <laughs> But as soon as that scene happened, I'm like, yes, I have definitely 100% seen this episode before. I was wondering, when he's saying, I remember watching my father put on his, and my grandfather put on his. I'm thinking, well, where are your children? Why are they not watching you put on yours? They all decided it was for the best for him to shuffle off this mortal coil. And I suppose that the clothes get left behind in the pod? 
It would have to. Yeah. I don't remember. Did Harry Kim? Yes, come Harry through? Kim was naked. Okay. Then the clothes got left behind. No. Well, Harry Kim wasn't naked when he arrived, but he when he returned, he was. Right. Well, I mean, the return that that direction of the trip is the direction that matters because Chakotay had pointed out that everyone, uh, all of the class five humanoids were were naked. So, but how? Why? Are they naked one way and not naked the other way? You're looking, but you're not seeing. The fact that they're naked says a lot. Well, remember when we were talking about um, time and again. Time and again? Yes. And I had made the point that how are we supposed to know who our heroes are if they don't have their comm badges on? Honest to God, I have to wonder if like that's something in the writer's room. So, like Harry has to be wearing his uniform? Yeah. How else will we know that it's Harry Kim? Hmm. It's possible. Yeah, I, I mean, most likely they, it, this is just not something that came up. Or if it did, the, whoever it was was like, dude, we're, no, we're thinking halfway through shooting, we're not changing the script at this point. Did you notice the funky drinks that Kess and uh, the woman whose name I've forgotten again? Patera. Yes. We're drinking, or at least we're holding. No. Was it? They were funky. Describe the funkiness. Hold on. I'll bring up a picture of the funkiness. Yes, paint me a picture with your words. I can do better than that. I can paint you an actual picture. I don't... That doesn't help our listeners. But yeah, one moment. I'm bringing up the funk. Okay, so they have, like, things that might be cinnamon sticks in them. Mm -hmm. First off, they're in really weird, funky-looking glasses, which I can only describe as weird and funky. Uh... They have, like, cinnamon sticks sticking out of them. The glasses themselves mm-hmm. are, like, a quarter full with this pink liquid. Okay. Cool. And then there's a bunch of other stuff in there. You're you're just the worst. I, I can't really describe. It's just stuff. Does the stuff look like marbles? Kind of, actually. Okay, cool. Like small marbles? No. Does it look like that weird bubble tea stuff? No, it does not look like... Wait, what does bubble tea look like? It, it like, a different colored, really runny tapioca. Gross. Yes, tapioca is. No, tapioca is delicious. It's like the very idea of tapioca scares me. Does do lar- Does it scare you more if it's larger eyes, or is it the same? Larger eyes? What are you talking about? Okay, there, there, are, there is big eye and little eye tapioca. What? Okay. So you know how tapioca has those little, like, the little sphere things in it? Those are referred to as eyes. By whom? (laughs) Why? Now I'm wondering if that's just something my family said. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we're going to leave it at that. (laughs) But anyway, there are, there's two different sizes of those little things. Okay. There's oh, okay. Apparently, it's pearls is the technical term for it. My parents always called it big eye and little eye, but it's large pearl and small pearl. <laughs> okay. So I'm <laughs> anyway. I'm done talking about tapioca. Um, I sent you a picture of the drinks. Okay. So what I'm looking at are they look the the glasses themselves are quite a bit like uh, brandy snifters. If you then 
where the brandy snifter, uh, the upper lip, the, the shape of the glass is not unlike a wine glass. In this case, the lip then opens back up, kind of like a flower vase. Yes. You're not wrong. It definitely looks like cinnamon sticks or something similar to that. Just, you know, like, like uh, five or six twigs, really, uh, inside the glass. There's some sort of brownish, pinkish, clear hmm. liquid. I was thinking Pepto-Bismol when you were first saying pink liquid. Oh, okay. Uh towards the bottom it looks like it's a cup inside a cup and the cup inside the larger cup is where that's where all the action's happening <laughs> yeah you and it might be it might be like an ice cream sundae or something made of sticks and rocks mm. just like mom used to make okay <laughs> we're gonna at some point we're gonna have a very a very special episode <laughs> okay can you not understand sarcasm like, does it go over your head? Nothing goes over my head. Are you too fast? Uh, yes. I really appreciated jumping straight to the last 18 seconds of the episode. Mm-hmm. Janeway's advice to Harry. Not just the idea that he take some time off and come to grips with what had happened to him, but her specific advice about how to deal with what had happened to him. Mm-hmm. to utilize a creative outlet. And I want you to live with it for a little while. Write about it if you feel like it. Paint. Express yourself in some fashion. I thought was, I mean, especially for coming from 1995, I mean, that's pretty ahead of its time, I think, for doing, like, post-stress management. Yeah, no, I appreciated that as well. You know, as compared to, say, Fire and Water from Stargate, where Hammond's advice was, let's get you back to work. Go clean out Daniel's apartment. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. And that actually took place, that actually was two years later. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah. No, I would agree with that. I really liked that, too. That was a nice little touch. Yeah. It seems that, uh, contrary... To our to Janeway's previous crisis of leadership, she's finding her footing on how she's going to interact with the crew. Yeah. Now, admittedly, if this was a larger ship and Voyager had their own Deanna Troy, that's who would have been giving that advice to Harry Kim. Yeah. Oh, uh, that. Yeah. Or uh, in late DS Nine, we had Esri Dax who would do it. I had forgotten all about that. DS Nine didn't have a counselor before her. Nope. I guess it was just Quark. Yes. Well, Cork actually did function. Yeah, Cork functioned as a counselor all the time. And then there was uh, Vic Fontaine, too. He sort of played that role late DS9 as well. And Morn. Ah, yes. Morn. You could never get him to shut up. <laughs> so, the la- so the last note that I have, which is actually one of the first notes that I had, was there's no way that I believe Janeway would have been frightened. Janeway doesn't. Janeway's never frightened. <laughs> right. <laughs> when she's consoling uh patera after they wake her up and her first experience waking up is the doc is the doctor looming over her and strange room and strange people and she's freaking out which is the correct response mm-hmm. and you know Jan- you know janeway's saying like well you know it you know believe me it would frighten me too it's like no it wouldn't no it really wouldn't no so i actually want to talk about that final that scene there with janeway and kim in the mess hall so mm-hmm. In an earlier episode, we talked about how unrealistic it is that that's the mess off of the whole crew. Yeah. I think in two earlier episodes. <laughs> it is also unrealistic, 
given the size of that mess hall and the size of the crew, that at any time there would only be one person in the mess hall. Yeah. It's it's kind of like they're trying to treat it like 10 forward, but smaller somehow. Right. And 10 forward would never have just one person in it either. Yeah, that's why I mean, like the smaller, like it's the wrong word to go with, but it's very strange. Like there should have been some extras at a table, at a couple tables in the background. That's all I'm saying. Uh, yeah, yeah, chowing down on on rocks and sticks, hmm? or chewing some of Neelix better than coffee substitute. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was my other comment about the logistics. I I really, in general, I enjoy the concept of this episode. This is not the only episode of Voyager where we talk about the afterlife. In fact, I can think of. Three others off the top of my head. Nice. So, yeah. Uh, And that's one of the nice things about Voyager. I think uh, Voyager has some of the most uh, percentage of high-concept sci-fi episodes of the Star Treks, I think. Yeah, I I enjoyed where they were going with this. It It was an episode. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't great. But I like what they were trying to do. Yeah, I liked the uh, the little flavors of Chakotay as anthropologist mm-hmm. and well, just anthropologist. Bolana was good. Oh, you know, more Bolana is always nice. Yeah, I'm always I'm always a big fan of Bolana. So you're using high concept incorrectly. That's possible. It means, in fact, the opposite of what you think. Okay. Do you know the difference between high level and low level programming? Yes. It's exactly the same. Okay, I... A high concept is a couple of bros getting a beer. That's the movie. The movie is a couple of bros getting a beer. Okay, then I would argue that everyone except you who I've ever heard or seen use the term has also used it incorrectly. Yes, they also mostly use Blue Moon incorrectly and Horses Champ. I know that Horses Champ. Technically, they're not using Blue Moon incorrectly, but they're not using the better, more correct definition. Also, uh, if a car is out of control, it careers instead of careens. Yeah, don't rocks careen? Something like that. I don't actually yeah. fully... Cars could careen. Yes, but, but they also career. Not I career, Monday through Friday. I career as well, but it has nothing to do with cars. A high concept was also often referred to as an elevator pitch. Mm. Okay, well, then I mean the opposite of what I said, but apparently... So does everyone else, so I don't feel bad. Okay, fine. Be that way. I'm just thinking, there have been times where you have disputed things that I have said. Oh, no, I appreciate you for pointing that out to me. I'm just... I was just commenting that apparently that... And if, that if that's a mistake, that's a mistake, and I'll try not to do that in the future. But uh, it is definitely... I have, I have heard the term several times. I have never once heard... But I have always heard it in the way that I intended and not what is apparently the correct way. Also, apparently, high T means the opposite. High almost never means what you think it means. Like, high T, high concept, high-level programming. No, 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 no. It's like, no. It means you're only scratching the surface. What about high noon? It actually means midnight. So... (laughs) You you you've been you've been biting your tongue for the last hour waiting to correct me, haven't you? It's forty seven minutes by my recording. Forty seven, nice. So let's make like Patil. 
and wrap and uh, wrap it up. Nice. That was our discussion on emanations. If you want to talk to us about how about the difference between high and low concept or what you think a class 5 humanoid might mean, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Delta Flyer Pod. You can send us an email at deltaflyerpod at gmail.com. Or you can go to our Facebook page, Delta Flyer Podcast. You can also find us uh, individually on Twitter. I'm Gamicus on Twitter. And I am Tyrannicus on Twitter. Feel free to leave us a review or a rating uh, on, in either iTunes or Google Podcasts, uh, wherever you get your podcasts from. But I think that's our show. Yeah.